Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Well, good morning. Uh, K through second, y'all can go in the back with Miss Whitney. As we get ready for today's message, uh, I love you, Marmy. I am going to June this year uh, again. Uh, I love you, Marmy. I was called into ministry at you, Marmy, so I would just second what the awesome Kurt Craddock has said in the video. Um, I also love '90s worship music, so give it up for the band for '90s Worship Sunday. Uh, it's been really great. This was a wonderful idea. I think, Clint, someone mentioned to me that this should become a yearly tradition, and I am all on board with that. Uh, for me, 90s worship was not my youth group, because I was born in 93. Uh, so 90s worship for me was the, the songs of my childhood, and being a PK, they would just drag you up to the youth events. And so all the youth group was singing these 90 worship songs, and I was just kind of the kid sitting in the back rocking out. So it was a great time. Uh, good nostalgia trip of the songs of our community of faith. Um, so I let y'all know last week, oh, I'm Pastor Jeremy Vass, by the way, good to be with y'all. Um, I let y'all know last week that there's going to be vine renovations going on during the summer and that we would need to be out of this space for a period of time and I would let you know when those dates are going to be. Today is the day that I'm going to let you know what those dates are. So May 29th, in June 5th, we are going to be over in the sanctuary doing a blended service together. It'll be a great time to celebrate uh, worshiping together as one church in one service, and it'll be really fun. I know Matt and Ryan are uh, working together, planning to see how that'll work, and really excited. So this space will be no floor, no carpet on the walls, sanded. It'll be kind of a mess in here. So we figured... We'll just go over there for a few weeks, and then it'll be prettier, prettier is the, not prettiest, but prettier, uh, when we come back in here with new floors. So during that week, uh, or during that Sunday, I would encourage you to still come, because one of the things that we'll be doing in between services is writing prayers on the concrete floor of this church, or of this space, so we can kind of uh, consecrate it, pray over it, and just uh, ask the Lord to come and dwell and be in the middle of this space. So uh, that'll be really fun. We are also in the middle of our Thrive series, uh, our post-Easter series looking at the resurrection of Jesus, and if Jesus is truly alive and we are an Easter people, what does it mean to be a people of God who thrive? What does it mean to be a people who are fully alive in Christ? And today we're looking at, uh, it just turned out this way in the Spirit's um, Providence, that today we're talking about being fully alive means that we are people of reconciliation. Um, so as Clint said earlier, you may have seen the news about the shooting in Buffalo and how it was pretty clearly racially motivated and how we know that racism and this kind of evil and this hatred of people based on the color of their skin has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And so today's message is on racial, or not racial reconciliation, just reconciliation in general. And how acts of evil remind us how necessary this ministry of reconciliation still is within our world today. Paul kind of hits this directly. There's a, the word reconciliation is just mentioned a few times in the New Testament. But one of the times that Paul writes about 
reconciliation. It's, he's a directly addressing kind of racial divisions within the church. And he says this in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 11. Um, Jenny, I changed my mind. I went back to verse 11. So 11's not on the screen, but Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body of human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenships in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so when we talk about reconciliation or maybe specifically racial reconciliation, it's about this ministry that Jesus himself is doing, about restoring that division that exists, restoring that animosity between two people groups, that it's the ministry of Christ to break down those barriers that exist, that Christ is the one who brings about restoration into areas of division, and it's Christ who calls us to live differently from the world who is perfectly content to live as Jew and Gentile separate and distinct. But in Christ, it says that we are one, that we are united, and we are called not to look and live like the divided world in which we find ourselves in. And so today we're going to be looking at just this idea of reconciliation in Scripture and how does that apply to our lives and how can we be ambassadors of reconciliation. And we see that reconciliation is intimately tied up into forgiveness, that reconciliation and forgiveness are intimately bound to one another. So our main text for the day is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his special appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this passage here in 2 Corinthians, it talks about God's work of reconciliation. 
It talks about God's ministry of reconciliation, about this, this idea of reconciliation is fundamentally that there's two parties and they're in hostility to one another, and then reconciling them means that they are no longer hostile, they're no longer enemies, but instead they've been reconciled back to a state of peace or back to a state of friendship where there was once just hostility. And so when we talk about being fully alive and thriving in Christ and being agents and ministers of reconciliation, it first off starts with the work that God does on our behalf, that we first understand that God reconciles us to himself. That's how all of this ministry starts out, by what God has done for us on our behalf. God reconciles us to himself. The ministry of reconciliation starts with what God does with us and for us. The book of Romans talks about how we were once enemies of God, but through Christ we have now been reconciled to him. That we were once far from Christ, that we were once old creatures, as this passage in Corinthians says, but in Christ we are now the new creation that we have now been, through the cross of Christ, become reconciled with God, that we who were once enemies of God are now friends with God through what Jesus has done for us, that God reconciles us firstly to himself, that our relationship with God has been restored, that where we were once enemies, we are now friends, where the old was, the new has come. And because we are new creatures in Christ, because through the work of how God has reconciled us to himself, we are called to therefore emulate what God has already done to us in every aspect of our lives. As it says here, that, Christ, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That the whole world is being reconciled to God. That God does that for us first and foremost that our sins are not counted against us, that we are people who live in a state of forgiveness. We are people who live in a state of favor with God, that being a people who thrive and are fully alive in Christ means that we are no longer enemies of God, but friends with God. That this ministry of reconciliation, this way of living, this way of being, it starts with God reconciling us to himself and forgiving us of our sins not counting them against us so that we can be in right relationship with him. And because it starts off with God, everything that we do in the church, every ministry that we have in the church, every action that we live in our Christian life, it always starts off with what God has done for us or how Jesus lived his life. We see that this ministry of reconciliation, this call to be ambassadors of Christ, it starts off by a God who came down, died on a cross, and reconciled us to himself. Therefore, because of what God has done for us, God then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That because of what God has done for us, he then gives us this ministry of reconciliation as an extension of the ministry of Jesus himself that God is reconciling all the world, all of creation to himself, that we are called to be his ambassadors into the world, that God sends us out into the world to show of a God who reconciles everything unto himself. This is Jesus' ministry that he invites us to take part in, 
to go and tell others of the good news that we serve a God who can reconcile with them, who can be friends with them, who can make peace with them. We're called to be agents who called to go to our enemies, to forgive as God forgave. That forgiveness and reconciliation is intimately tied into one another. And that we are meant to be emulators of God, that just as he forgave us of our sins, we are called to therefore forgive others. That forgiveness and reconciliation are intimately tied to one another. That are we, if we're to be a reconciling people, if we're to be a people who follow after Jesus, that means that a reconciling people are a forgiving people. A reconciling people are a forgiving people. Because this all starts off with what Jesus has done for us. That if we are people who are forgiven by God, we should also be a people who forgive others. Forgiving others who have wronged us, made us mad, said something mean to us. That this is the call of Christ on our lives as agents of reconciliation, as ambassadors of the ministry of Jesus, to be a people who forgive one another so we can live in peace with one another. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first... We would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. I think forgiveness also uh, gets a bit of a misunderstanding. Um, I love the way that one of my seminary professors explained it, that our job as humans is to choose to forgive someone, to choose to forgive someone, and it's the job of God to change our heart. That if we choose to forgive someone, we then let God do the work of changing our heart. Because forgiveness is fundamentally about letting things go that we've been grabbing onto, letting go of the pain the bitterness, the resentment, the anger, the grudge, whatever it is that we're holding on to and giving it to God and then letting God be the one who brings the healing to the situation. Like I said, uh, I think earlier in a few months ago, I talked about uh, getting fired from a job and uh, having to forgive the person who fired me and how that was not a short process like I wanted it to be but it was sort of this four-year-long paraded journey of forgiveness that I forgave him over and over and over again, that I constantly had to choose to give these things over to the Lord and let him be the one who slowly healed my heart over time. Jesus talks about this in his gospel, or in, a, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew talks about this different way to live, this different calling on our lives as Christ followers. Uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That we are called to be people who don't let disagreements, bitterness, and anger fester inside of us like maggots rotting our soul. And we're called to let this go to forgive, to choose to give it over to Christ, to be peacemakers, to live at peace with one another. 
We're called to live differently than the world around us, a world and a culture and a political society that so often chooses to hold everything you've done wrong against you. The call of Christ is to choose the way of forgiveness, to forgive those who have wronged us. If we're to be ministers of this reconciliation ministry, to be peacemakers, we're to be people who charge headlong into disagreement, not to have a big blow up with someone else, although that may happen, but to choose the way of Christ, to bring about resolution and peace where there once was none, to be reconciled to one another. This is the high calling of Christ on our lives. That's a different way to live. It's a different way to treat one another than the world treats each other. John Wesley, in commenting on this, the blessed are the peacemakers, he says this, that our inward holiness is to exert itself in our outward conversation. That this transformation that God does in our hearts and in our souls, it should affect how we treat and live in this world. Because if it doesn't, what's the point of it? If it doesn't change how we live, if being a follower of Jesus means we look just like a secular atheist, what's the point of following Jesus? But if we are to be Christ followers, if we're to give our lives over to the one who has reconciled us to himself, we're called to live differently because we have been transformed by the love of Christ. As the famous theologian Alice Cooper said, Drinking beer is easy, trashing your hotel room is easy, but being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's a real rebellion. Because he noticed that it's easy to live like the world. It's easy to look just like everyone else does. It's easy to not choose the path of forgiveness. It's easy to not choose the path of reconciliation. It's easy not to forgive. It's easy to hold grudges, easy to cut people out of your life. But the higher and more difficult call of Christ that we see in Scripture is to be a peacemaker, an ambassador of reconciliation of those who choose to embrace maybe the awkwardness of the conversations, to choose the harder path of forgiving one another. Are we a people who let our transformation with the Lord shape how we live? That if this Christian life is truly about transformation, which I fully believe it is, then we should look, love, and talk differently than the world around us. Or are we just living like everyone else? Because what kind of witness is that if we look just like everyone else? We should be a people who forgive quickly those who wrong us, forgiving those who we think have wronged us, forgiving those who have made us mad, Forgiving those who've gossiped behind our back, who disagreed with us to our face, who did something we didn't want them to do. Being a forgiving people means we don't let this inward rot just fester in our soul, but we choose to give it over to Christ so we can receive freedom. John Wesley, I don't know if this story is real or not, but it's a good story. So think of it as a parallel with John Wesley in it, or a parable. Uh, a man named John Oglethorpe, in talking with John Wesley, he once made the comment to him, I never forgive. And John Wesley replied to him and said, Then, sir, I hope that you never sin. I never forgive, he said. John Wesley said, Then I hope that you never sin. Because it's this reality that we often want forgiveness for ourselves, but because we know that we make mistakes, we mess up, 
But how often are we willing to extend forgiveness to other people? How often are we willing to extend that forgiveness when we so desperately want it for ourselves? That if we're to be true ministers of reconciliation, we are to be a people who forgive one another because we serve a God who has forgiven us, who does not count our sins against us, as the scripture says. So if we're to be a reconciling people, that means that we're a people who forgive one another. It also means that a reconciling people seeks forgiveness from others. That we're not only meant to forgive others, we're meant to seek forgiveness from others. That participating in this ministry of reconciliation means that we need to be a people who admit and confess our wrongdoing to others so that we can be reconciled, which is, I think, a hard call as well. Jesus, again, talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew 5, 23, therefore... If you have an offering, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember someone, there you remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. These are command words here in Greek. Go, be reconciled. Stop what you're doing. Go to them. It shows how seriously God takes this ministry of reconciliation between each and every one of us. This call to live differently that Jesus is basically saying, if you are in the middle of offering your worship before God, and you remember that you have done wrong to someone, you remember you have offended someone, stop worshiping me and go and make peace with your neighbor. Go to them and admit how you've wronged them and seek reconciliation with them. It shows how seriously God takes this. That this is the hard call of being a Christian on our lives. To put on the humility of Christ. To know that we are people who make mistakes, we're people who sin. And have the humility to go to those that we've wronged and say, I've messed up. I've wronged, I've sinned. There's a story of uh, D.L. Moody, famous 20th century evangelist. There's a story about one night when Dr. Moody was leading worship. Uh, there was the organist leading worship with him, and he saw a man walk into the congregation who he had wronged earlier that day. And he turns to the organist and he says, excuse me, I need to stop. I see that my friend has come into the meeting and I offended him earlier today and I want him to forgive me. And so D.L. Moody, he stops leading worship and he gets down from the platform and he's charging himself up the aisle to go and reconcile with the man that he had offended earlier the day. And then him and the man reconcile with one another. That's an example of how seriously D.L. Moody took this command of Christ that if you're in the middle worship, if you're in the middle of praising and worshiping God and you remember there's someone you have offended, you have done wrong to, seek them out and go and be reconciled with them. I think in my relationship with Erica, it's easier for me to forgive her than it is for me to go to her and say, you know what, I've done wrong. I'm the one that messed up. I'm the one that needs forgiveness. You can apply that to almost any relationship. And sometimes it's easier to forgive others than to go to someone and admit that you've wronged them and that you need to ask for forgiveness. 
But it's in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we forgive those who have wronged us. For some, it may be easier to forgive than to admit wrongdoing and ask for forgiveness. But that's part of the Christian life is admitting I'm not perfect and when I'm wrong, I will go and confess my sin to my brother or sister so that I can be reconciled to them, so that we can be at peace with one another. John Chrysostom, famous preacher in church history, uh, says this about this reflection of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, what can be more gentle than these words? Then to interrupt the service you are offering to me, he says, so that your love may continue. To be reconciled to your brother is to offer sacrifice to me. He desires to show how highly he values love and considers it to be the greatest sacrifice. So he does not even receive the sacrifice of worship without the sacrifice of love. To be agents of reconciliation means that we're to be a people who, when we're wrong, seek to make amends like Jesus commands us to, like Jesus tells us to. And so we take it and we apply to different ministries things like racial reconciliation. Will we be people who are willing to admit when we're wrong? Will we have the humility of Christ to admit how we have offended or hurt our brothers and sisters? Will we be a people, will we be a church who chooses to live and love each other differently than the way that we see on our cable news network? Will we choose to love and treat one another differently than the way that it seems like our country is living and it seems to be tearing itself apart because it's a country that refuses to forgive and ask for forgiveness? Will we, the church of Jesus Christ, model a different way of living and a different way of loving one another? Because that's the higher call of Christ in our lives. To not look like everyone else out there, but to live and love and have our witness be different. To be salt of the earth, a light on a hill, as Jesus says. Sometimes making amends with people can be different or reconciling people can look different. Uh, in the 12-step program, like Celebrate Recovery, the ninth step is making amends or reconciling with people that you have wronged. And the ninth step says this, we make direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or to injure others. That for some of us, reconciliation will look different depending on the other person. Uh, you know, you don't have to go back to your abuser. I don't think that's the call of Christ. The call of Christ is to forgive and reconciliation can look different. Like the person that fired me, I'm not buddy-buddy with him. I don't call him up when I'm asking for advice, but there's no longer hatred or animosity between me and him anymore. That that's the reconciliation, that's the peace that we have. As we, as we continue, uh, or I wanna close with a story from a book from one of my seminary professors, uh, Wounds That Heal, highly recommend this book. He writes about the power of forgiveness in the life of a woman who told him this story. And I'm gonna close with this. Uh, ben, y'all can come back up. Dr. Siemens writes, for years, a woman named Catherine burned with resentment towards her father. Although he was a loved and well-respected pastor, he unleashed a vicious and uncontrollable temper at home. As a young girl, Catherine repeatedly felt the brunt of it. Having been hurt by him, she wanted to hurt him in return. 
Even after he died, she says, I carried within myself a heavy burden of hatred, almost as though I were entitled to it. I believe that injustice had been done to me and that I had a right to resent that injustice. Finally, as a woman in her 40s, she was able to forgive her father. Breakthrough came on December 13th, 1970. The night before, she had gone to bed with two different thoughts in her head. One revolved around the hatred toward her father. The other, a question a little girl had asked during her second grade class. How come Jesus got to be so great when we're nothing? The little girl asked. Catherine had assured the little girl, we're not nothing. We are sons and daughters of God. The girl seemed pleased by her answer, but Catherine still kept pondering her question, especially the part about Jesus being so great. She dozed off, both resenting her father and wondering about Jesus, and Catherine described what happened the next day. I woke up early the next morning. I heard no voice and I saw no vision, but I experienced the impression of Christ on the cross saying the words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. At that moment, it was as though a tremendous weight was lifted from me. My resentment was a heavy load that I had been carrying, and suddenly I was freed from it. I was free not through any virtue of my own, but through the grace of God. Early in the morning, in the half-light between darkness and dawn, on December 13th, 1970, a miracle happened to me. I was free. My hatred for my father was not only a painful load for me to carry, it had blocked my relationship with God, it had poisoned my life, and suddenly, I was free. That morning was rich with spiritual blessings. It was a mystic moment when I felt as though time had the texture of eternity, and as those heaven rays shone all around me. If Jesus could accept the crucifixion in a spirit of forgiveness, then surely I should be able to forgive my father for any wrong he might have done me. For Catherine, the words of Jesus uttered, uttered from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, provided a pattern for forgiving her father and released in her the power to forgive him. As a result, she was delivered from her bondage to bitterness and set free to love her father. And she also understood, as never before, the question to the little girl's answer, how come Jesus got to be so great? That this ministry of reconciliation, this pathway of forgiveness, it starts with what God has done. And God calls us to be like him. That we are called to forgive so that we can be set free to live and love and dance in the freedom that Jesus wants for us. Amen. So we remember on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, with his betrayer sitting at the table with him, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, Father, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. By your Holy Spirit, make us a reconciled people. Make us a people who live differently than everyone around us. Make us be a people who are quick to forgive and quick to seek forgiveness so that we can emulate what it's like in heaven. Peaceful, perfect community with one another. 
as we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.